Romans chapter 13, verses 7 through 10. This is the word of God. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Lord, we ask this morning that you would make your book live for us and that you would show us yourself, and you would show us our Savior. We pray, Father, that what we believe would come to fruition, that when the people of God are gathered on the Lord's day in the Lord's house, and the man whom God has appointed speaks to the people from the Word of God, that you enter into that process, and that you use that moment to change people to correct, to rebuke, to exhort, to train in righteousness. You tell us that your word goes forth and infallibly performs everything that you purpose for it to do and that it does not return to you void. It doesn't return empty. So we pray that your word would go forth among us and accomplish much. It's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. You sure everything's okay? You can hear me okay? Yeah? Okay. It doesn't sound right to me from here. It doesn't sound like it usually does. Well, I want to do something very straightforward today and, uh, and something relatively brief, at least for me. Uh, normally, I avoid addressing most holidays from the pulpit. Uh, I might acknowledge them with something in the church service, but it's been my practice for 28 of the last 30 years of ministry to only preach on Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving. And that's usually it, because we're here to focus on God and, uh, and, and it gets very drifty after a while if you start bringing up everything that the culture brings up. Uh, this year, I deviated a little bit from that practice. I addressed motherhood on Mother's Day, and I'm going to address fatherhood on Father's Day. Now, we have no trouble in the church honoring mothers and expressing gratitude to mothers, and praising and extolling the virtues of mothers and of motherhood, and saying good and wholesome and true things about motherhood. And that's right, and that's appropriate, and that's good. But when it comes to Father's Day, mostly what men get is a pep talk from pulpits all over this land telling fathers to shape up and do better. Very few pastors would have the stones to preach a Mother's Day sermon telling mothers to shape up and do better, and of those that do, precisely 0% of them would be around in 12 months to preach another one. So uh, it's not just the church, though. In the last few years, for instance, spending on Mother's Day was $25 billion. Spending on Father's Day was $16 billion. That's 40% less. As a matter of fact, when you look at spending on holidays in general, Christmas is number one, Mother's Day is number two, Valentine's Day is number three, Easter is number four, Father's Day is number five, and next comes Halloween and the Super Bowl. So we dads come in behind the Easter Bunny. And statistics say that men purchase more for both their mother and their father than women spend on their mother and father. And when you drill down, when the researchers have drilled down and said, well, why is this? The best answer they could come up with is men just don't want gifts. Bruh, please. We want gifts. 
We want good gifts, right? The first Mother's Day was in 1910. The first Father's Day was in 1912. In 1913, the U.S. government officially recognized Mother's Day as a holiday, but it waited 60 more years until 1972 to recognize Father's Day. One writer at OprahDaily.com, of all places, wrote this, and I think it's the only true thing on OprahDaily.com. Father's Day is a mirror that the culture holds up, judging them or validating them. And from where I sit, frankly, I see a lot of judging. If mothers, who can be just as toxic and just as destructive and just as problematic as fathers can be, aren't judged that way on Mother's Day, I say we stop doing it to fathers on Father's Day. I want to make three brief points this morning. Point number one, there is such a thing as honor. And it is God's invention. The Hebrew word that we translate as honor, for instance, in the fifth commandment, is the word kavod. Its basic meaning is heavy or weighty. Because money in the Bible was made of silver and gold and not paper and plastic and ones and zeros like it is today, a lot of money was also a lot of weight. It was heavy. It was weighty, precious things, expensive things, nice things, beautiful and exotic things cost a lot of money because they had a lot of value. So if something cost a lot of money, the Hebrews didn't say it was expensive, they said it was heavy. Something of high value is heavy, it's kavod. A person of high value a person of importance or a person of some position or some standing was also called kavod. He or she is heavy. When you see them, when you meet them, you account them as important or as more important than your usual person that you meet. In an Asian context, you might bow to them more deeply than you would to a peer. You treat them with respect. You defer to them where appropriate. You use titles of respect. You talk to them differently, more carefully. And if they ask you to do something, you do it unless there's a really good reason not to. In the Old Testament, the word uh, most usually translated as glory, as in the glory of the Lord, is also kavod, the same word as honor. So, for instance, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we find that disaster has fallen on Israel, and in particular on the sons of a priest named Eli. The Israelites were facing the Philistines, and they decided they'd gotten their, their tail ends kicked uh, once, and they went away licking their wounds, so they decided they're going to get the ark of the Lord out and take that into battle, and that'll solve all their problems. Only God is not pleased with Israel, and it doesn't. And it leads to a defeat in battle. It leads to the death of Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It leads to the capture of the ark of the Lord. And, and then Eli, who is old and we're told is very fat, he falls over backwards when he hears that his sons are dead and the ark of the Lord has been captured. And he breaks his, 
his neck and he dies. And the wife of one of his sons went into early labor at the news of her husband's death and died in childbirth. And as she was dying, she said, name the child Ichabod, no glory, for the glory has departed from Israel. And that was her final words. Name my kid, no glory, because the glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod, God has left us. His presence and his power and his weightiness, his kavod, have fled. The word in Greek in the New Testament is almost the same meaning. And it is time, and it means price, something that is precious, something of honor. So honor, glory, exists as a concept, and it is God's invention. It's not an invention of the patriarchy or the culture. It expresses itself in different ways, but it's an invention of God. Point number two, glory, honor, is God's ideas, is God's idea, but it's also one of his attributes. It's something that he can and does have. He is a glorious being, an honorable being. And like many of the attributes of God, he communicates some small measure of this to his creatures, to in particular to human beings who are made in his image. And he can and does bestow on his creatures honor, glory. Sometimes it's because they did something well or accomplished something significant. But he also bestows honor on certain people who occupy certain positions in human society. For instance, he commands us to, to, and, and bestows honor on leaders and rulers, on kings and governors who are in positions of authority. They are in positions of honor just by virtue of their office. We are to honor them. That's why you call a judge your, you can say it, honor, right. Uh, inferior officers in the military owe a salute to superior officers. And superior officers are also to acknowledge that and return that salute. The young are to show honor and deference to elders, to the elderly. In Leviticus 19.32, it says, Stand up in the presence of the aged and show respect for the elderly and fear your God, I am the Lord. In other words, there is honor in achieving age and gray hair. You're very honorable in this congregation. We've got a congregation full of people who are worthy of honor by virtue of the fact that they have lived long on the earth. And many of you have walked long with the Lord Jesus Christ. And God commands it. God commands that we honor you. One of the reasons it's so hard to get older people to help with ministry to children and teenagers sometimes is that children and teenagers have not been taught to honor the elderly in the fear of the Lord. They are taught instead to show disregard or even contempt. And so it makes it very hard for the elderly to interact with them because they don't think you know anything or you have anything important to say. It's interesting, that's really just an American problem. The Chinese don't have that problem. The Africans know that an aged person should be treated as a source of wisdom. 
I, I spent quite a, a bit of time amongst the Lakota Indians in uh, one situation or another, and when you get a, a group of them and an elderly person comes in, either male or female, uh, the, they'll stop what they're doing and they'll make sure that that person has a comfortable seat. And if a young person has to give up that seat so that that elderly person can sit down and be comfortable, well, that's just what needs to happen in junior, you're getting up because they honor their elders. But America's too arrogant and it's too full of itself to see the elderly as those who are due kavod. I was um, at lunch on Monday with an, an older lady, a black woman, somewhat disabled, and uh, just de delightful. And because she had such a hard time getting around, she was in a lot of pain almost all the time, she had a hard time getting around, I, I said, can I park your car for you? Can I, can I get your lunch? Can I bring your car to the curb for you? And she's worthy of double honor. She's a, a godly woman of great gifting and wisdom, so she deserves honor for that, but she's also a, an older woman, and she's lived long in the earth, and she's seen a lot of pain and been through a lot of things, and she had a lot of things to teach me and bless me with. And I honor her. She was wonderful. This is why God calls the, the men who lead the church elders in Scripture. Um, that's a position of great authority. And it's a position of great responsibility. We are to give watch over your souls. You, the elders are not elected to fix the building and make sure the parking lot is paved. The, the elders are elected to give watch over your souls, to teach you, to correct you when it's necessary, to love you and to pray for you and with you and to know what's going on in your life. And we're working towards becoming those kind of men intentionally. We've given up on the building. That's the deacons now, as it should be. Because we want to be honorable, but we're also owed honor. You know, uh, the scripture that's on my resume and has been for the last 15 years is uh, Galatians 4.19, which reads, My little children, of whom I am again in travail, until Christ be formed within you. Now, here's the thing. When God puts someone in a position for which honor is due, two things are true. Number one, you owe honor to the person occupying that position. Number two, the person in that position should strive to be someone who is worthy of that honor. And that's why I had you read those two uh, questions from the shorter catechism this morning. We've got duties and we've got uh, that are on you and on us, on anybody that's in a position of honor. And those duties should be performed, but the person in the position of honor should also be honorable. Number three, fatherhood is an office. It's a position. God says that it's a position of high honor. Motherhood is too, but today we're talking about fathers. Do you know that in the civil law of ancient Israel, 
God commanded the death penalty for a son or daughter who cursed either of his parents. That's how seriously God takes the issue of honoring father and mother. Listen to this from Exodus chapter 21 and verse 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. That's how seriously God takes it. God also makes a general promise of a longer and more prosperous life for those who take the issue of honoring father and mother seriously, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We find that in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16. Fathers, it is very important that you see your position as a man of God and as a father as a very good thing. Yours is a position of great dignity. It is a position of great authority. It is a good and desirable position for a man to hold. You must recognize that under God, you occupy a position that is honorable. And you need to rest in that truth. You need to be at peace with that truth, even when others don't recognize that truth. You must not see yourself diminished, even if others seek to diminish you in that role. Nobody can make you feel small. Nobody can make you feel inferior. Nobody can make you feel inadequate unless you first see yourself as small or inferior or inadequate. And so it's critically important that you understand who God designated you to be as a father. You do have a high calling in fatherhood. It is a role of provision. It is a role of correction and training. It's a role of example. It's a role of protection. You know, the other night, my wife was laying in bed and I was out in the living room and she texted me and said, is the shed locked? I said, yes. She said, okay, I heard something out there. I said, something or someone? She said, I don't know. And so I told her, well, why don't you get up and go out in the backyard and look for me? No. I was in that bedroom, I got the 40 cal and I got the flashlight and I walked out there and if there was somebody out there, we were gonna have a problem. I'm gonna protect my family because that's what a father does. If you are a Christian man, God has appointed you as prophet and priest and king in your home and to your family to be responsible to do what God wants done in your own life and in the life of your family. And you must be willing to sacrifice for the protection and well-being of your wife and your children at any moment because God has appointed you to be an icon, an image of Christ and His ministry to His people. You're conforming to the image of Christ in this way. It makes Christ plain to all who watch you. You know, I will always remember the story of my granddad. I, I revered my granddad. And I remember him talking about, um, it was during World War II, and there was rationing, a lot of rationing. And you couldn't, like, for instance, buy certain groceries or, 
unless you had a ration card, and then they limited the amount. And you also couldn't buy shoes without a ration card. And he was in an exempt occupation because he was in agriculture. He was a grain broker. And, um, and of course, gasoline was always rationed then, too. And so he walked to work. And his shoes had worn out to the point where there were holes in the bottom of them. You will remember or perhaps have had leather shoes, and you know how they wear like that. And every time he got a, a, a coupon, a ration coupon for a pair of shoes, one of the kids needed shoes. And so he bought shoes for the kids. And he went without. And it got to the point where it was, had cardboard in his shoes to kind of keep at least the worst of the wet and the dirt off of his feet. And he was walking to work, and he walked past the shoe store, and Mr. Kahn, I, re I remember him as a child, he was a very old man then, Mr. Kahn, who owned the, the shoe store, uh, watched him coming and noticed that his shoes weren't doing very well, and he said, Ed, come here. And he gave him a pair of shoes on the sly. He said, just take these. My grandfather went without shoes in order to take care of his family. That's what a father does. Fathers, honor is due you. And today, we honor you. And that's all I'm going to say. Amen.